recording's always is a little bit intimidating. <laughs> Every time. Gives me, it's like, gives me oh, I need to start talking. Yeah, it's weird, especially when I've been chatting to you for half hour. Don't lie, you've, you've, you've loved me talking to me, you've missed me. <laughs> well, uh, hello everyone, hello Jacob, we're, and return to Degree of Doubt. We're still yeah, here, as we always say. We are back, we are recording. Yeah, we haven't, um, we might have bored everyone else, but we haven't bored each other yet. Just, well, not enough yet. <laughs> Getting there. Getting there. Um, so, this week, uh, I have been Googling and reading articles about the 15 biggest challenges, um, according to an American think tank called Open Mind BBVA. Um, so, you can research them and find all the data on them you can if you want. And, and they've written uh, an article about the 15 biggest challenges um facing the world and having said that here we go i thought i'd lost it i've now got the 15 in front of me the most recently they updated it was 2012 so this is as of 2012 and i was just thinking we'd pick some out of them and then put our 20, brilliant minds 2012 that's quite that's quite a while ago i know but they're not very specific they're things like climate change and refugee crises and stuff um oh, okay. hold on let me just double check they haven't done a, a more recent one um and then, yeah, so they're pretty specific. We, well, we can reflect on how, if that's changed since 2012. I doubt it, but it's possible we've solved it. I, I, yeah, I would imagine they're the same issues, to be fair. Yeah. Wasn't 2012 the year of, like, the world was going to end? Maybe it did end. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe everyone listening to this is in hell currently. Uh, why? why do you, is that all our listeners deserve to be in hell today? Are they just not good people? No, I'm saying they might not have been good people, and this is their punishment. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, that is brutal. Okay. Oh, well, interestingly, uh, if you just if someone said, oh, what are the biggest challenges facing humanity? What would you have said would be on the list in instinctively? Well, I'd say climate change. Mm -hmm. With my big number one on the list. Yeah, I think that's pretty um, fair. And, and any others that would make the top 15? Because there's 15. And I was like, so. Well, it wars, um, diseases, um, Wars, diseases, uh, food shortages. Yeah, I think pretty obvious. All right, then. So, how do you want to do this? Do you want to pick a number? I'll tell you what it is. And have, then... you got, have you got? Have you got a dice? Ooh. Oh, there's this. Have you got a fifteen? Can you get a fifteen-sided dice? I've got a twelve-sided dice. Uh, you know, I could just ask Google to give us a random number. Oh, should I? I could ask. Should I ask Alexa? Then ask Alexa. I wonder if if Alexa, Alexa can be our guest. Give me a random number from one to fifteen. Here's a number between one and fifteen. It's seven. Did you hear seven. that? Thank seven. you, Alexa. And thank you for joining us in the studio as well, Alexa. It's um it's good to take time out of your day and get away from Jeff Bezos to come come on the podcast. I hope I hope set everyone's Alexa off as well. Like okay. have you have you ever had that when you listen to the radio or the TV or something, and then the, the, the advert comes on and it goes, <laughs> Oh hi Alexa, and then all your like Alexa pings on you're like, Oh my god, what a stupid yeah. advert. The weird thing in my house, I've got a Google Home and a Google Phone, and if I'm speaking to my my Google Home in the kitchen to set a timer, my phone always hears. No matter, I think they must be linked somehow. But I'll be literally whispering it to it, and then my phone will pick it up, and then and then I'll be screaming at my phone saying, "Hey Google, does nothing." See, even then, nothing. <laughs> it probably are linked. Your old man not knows, knowing how to use technology. Yeah, well, technology is going too crazy my days. I remember when back in my day when we had normal computers. 
<laughs> All right, what was it? Number seven. Okay. Seven, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm interested to see if you and me would try and solve issues differently. Okay, so the first one is slight, a little bit conceptual. Number seven, how can ethical market economies, and just how can economies, be encouraged to help reduce the gap between the rich and the poor? Um, go on, you start. <laughs> That's armor. So I guess, <laughs> I guess the issue there is, is how can we get the rich, the gap between the rich and the poor, to be obviously closed without by encouraging the market and sort of businesses to do it themselves, as opposed to literally stealing everyone's money and then redistributing. Yeah, I think I think there are there obviously are businesses out there that do it already, but a lot of them need laws in place and. And rules to stop them taking advantage because like, so you don't have to go that far but that far or you can go to some countries now where you've got like um people working for like pennies or sometimes mm. or, or who aren't even earning anything at all and just basically sort of slaves in a in a system and trapped but um what is that you you think with things like human rights and uh, employee rules and laws coming in. This this a way to start trying to make it fairer by paying people proper wages. Yeah, so I guess you need like proper minimum wages across across the world. Because I guess one issue is is that you've got like massive companies like Nike who are based like basically based in America, but and then got sweatshops around sweatshops yeah. in India because the the minimum wage in India doesn't exist. So you probably need minimum wages. Um, it's actually been quite a big deal in the UK with the budget recently or the fiscal event or the growth plan or whatever they wanted to call it. Oh, they, that's, why, that's why everyone's on strike at the moment, isn't it? Exactly. They, um, they, originally, uh, they originally decided, they U-turned on it, they originally decided to get rid of the top rate of income tax for like the highest earners. So if you earned over, I can't even remember what it was, but if you earned the highest amount you could above the highest threshold, then you wouldn't be taxed on that, on that biggest amount or you wouldn't have that 45p tax, I should say. And then... They also have reduced, removed the cap on bankers' bonuses. So, but again, how do you, how do we actively, is there a way of encouraging, making it, I guess the first thing to do is obviously tax, probably, tax tax the rich. Um, but is there a way to like incentivize companies actually helping those people as opposed to sort of forcing them? I don't know. I uh, guess, well, it's trying to, it, it, you, 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 as you can see at the moment, um, you need companies need a strong economy to run well in any way. Um, they need people buying things for the shelf. So if they're if people haven't mm. got money to go and spend on products, then they're not going to be earning as much money as they could they could be. Um, yeah. So they they, so they need. Like, yeah. But then I guess I guess that comes back to the problem. Like not like Knight, for example, their customers are Americans, but they're producers of Southeast Asians. So that they don't care about them. Um, it's interesting you mentioned about human rights as well, actually. I'd just say, like, one thing from studying human rights is really interesting is that only governments are applied, like, human rights laws apply to governments. Like, Nike can never be done for abusing human rights. It would be the government that, were con that where Nike were based. So in, there is some argument to say we could apply, like, human rights laws to companies and individuals. And if you abuse someone's human rights then you as a company are responsible as opposed to saying like the Indian government are responsible for allowing Nike to do it. I think mean, that, that might be, yeah. a, that might be a way of actually requiring organizations to make those changes. 
Yeah, no, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree with that. It'd be, yeah, so it's not just the fact that it's, yeah, it's the full night in America that's getting mm. punished by not paying people proper wages. Because, uh, again, what's your, what would be your opinion on, say, if there was a minimum wage in India, but it was less money than not even a wage in America? Yeah, would would you still be alright with them producing that somewhere else? Yes, yeah, I think that's the issue, isn't it? Because I think I would be alright because minimum wage has to be set at what's relevant for the country they're in. Yeah, because if if in India the minimum wage was equivalent to like the UK minimum wage, like ten pounds an hour, for instance, in India is a lot of money. Like the standard, the the cost of living in India is so cheap in comparison to the UK that having the same set. Um, minimum wage across the board i think would cause economic problems because like yeah. companies like small companies that employ two people that just like do like plumbing services or something or like father and son companies would really struggle because it's like well i've got to pay someone this amount of money even though no one could afford it so i think yeah it is really hard but then then the counter to that is obviously that then you've got people in countries with a minimum wage of 50p an hour and that doesn't solve the problem either no, it doesn't, does it? No, but it, but then almost, yeah, people sort of seem to sometimes ignore that because then then they're getting a the product they want for a cheaper price. Yeah, uh, and also it's hidden from the consumer a lot as well. Um, yeah, I think there's there's also like some companies. We'll move on because we've got lots to get through. But like, I think there are some companies as well that have like um empl- like the co-op do it, John Lewis do it, where employees own part of the company. I just wonder yeah, if I think, I think John Lewis has stopped doing that now. Oh, okay. But I'm just wondering but, if there was something like if 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 like unions or workers or something had representatives on the boards and like tried to ensure because there's some pay structures like some com- there's some companies that do this where you get paid in percentile. So basically, yeah. the person at the top earns let's say ten times the owner what the person at the bottom earns. So if they increase the wages, and it's all linked. So if if the person at the bottom's wages increase then so does everyone up the chain. So there's an incentive yeah. and no one's wages. You can't, the owner can't increase their their earnings and their wages unless they increase that of all of the employees. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a way of, that's, of that's, that's, wealth. That's quite a good way of, of doing it. Um, I just think, I think it's fairly, I think it's, to an extent it's fairly simple. It's just like everyone has to get, com- get actual companies to pay their fair tax and meet, proper mi- and make minimum wage to actual what it currently what it should actually be to the whatever interest rates and living standard is at the moment and i think i think then that's, that's i think that's the biggest issues yeah I think- see, like you see at the moment where um yeah yeah like, so <clears throat> you see at the moment a lot of these big companies don't pay hardly any tax like starbucks amazon mm. um and again, they're not paying. They're paying most of the staff minimum wage, and minimum wage isn't as high as it should be at the moment. So, yeah, I agree. And then I think the really key factor of this is tax. But then also spend that tax properly. Like send spend that tax on like leveling up, like building like better schools, improving the education system, so people at the bottom can learn new skills, develop themselves, understand, like how much power and control they actually have over their own lives. Make sure people aren't using food banks so they don't have to worry about heating and food so they can actually oh, learn new skills. 
100 percent interesting fact i found out about the food bank the other day i think i told you sure. um there's more food banks in the uk than there are mcdonald's <laughs> like if you, if you think about how many mcdonald's is in your local town or city and then go, yeah, it's quite a lot of McDonald's. There's more food banks than McDonald's branches. That's crazy. That is, I think the thing is with food banks, we don't, you don't see them. Like, I know you, some of us, like, you might see a food bank here or there, but you're not like, oh, there's a food bank, or there's a food bank again. There's people queuing for a food bank. So we, I don't think people really appreciate the problem. Yeah, no, I think, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah, but imagine if all the food banks had a massive, like, M. <laughs> golden. Golden yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know Golden. if we really I don't know if we answered that one very well, but it's good Yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's a hard one. Um get are you gonna get Alexa to give us another one? Alexa, can I have another number? Here's a number. A ten octillion. <laughs> ten octillion, did she say? Yeah, should we go should we go with ten? <laughs> I think the ten octillionth biggest problem in the world might be you and me talk too much. <laughs> how big a number how many zeros is that? I don't know. Should I Google it? Okay. Yeah. Have a guess. you gonna have a guess. Uh uh octillion. Uh no, I don't want to have a guess. What what do you have? What would you guess at? Nine? I don't know. You know what? Like how, many, how many is how many is a million? Uh, six. Six. So yeah, I'm nine. Oh, it's Zero. octillion. Okay, octillion. Uh, a cardinal number. I don't know. Represented in the US by a one followed by twenty-seven zeros, but the British version of an octillion has forty-eight zeros. Oh, I was only a bit off. <laughs> only a little bit off. So yeah. Um. I don't know, how, yeah, what the the tenth octillion um, biggest problem in the world. But should we go number ten? Yeah, let's go number ten. Okay, how can shared values and new security strategies reduce ethnic conflicts, terrorism, and the use of weapon and the use of weapons of mass destruction? So, how can we reduce ethnic conflicts, terrorism, and the use of weapons of mass destruction? I mean, yeah, that, I think that is a big challenge facing the world. How do we do that? And do technologies like drones or AI, do they help reduce those conflicts? Or do surveillance, con controlling populations through surveillance and CCTV and all that sort of stuff, do those things actually reduce conflict or increase? Yeah, so I think it's a bit like, well, if we start with like shared values or and faiths and things like that, I think it's just been understanding to each other. So... Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm an atheist. Um, <gasps> I'm. I like. I don't know. Sometimes I feel a bit spiritual, but I don't know. I'm not sure. But I, I, let's just say an atheist. But if someone, um, if I, I don't, I don't agree with religion. I don't understand it. I don't. I just see so many flaws of it. But if someone was going to tell me they're going to go off to church and pray. Or they're going to go to the Sikh and pray, or whatever the mosque. Um, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's what that's what you want to do. You 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 can go and like if that's what you need to do, it's what you you can go and do it. Like I've got no issues with actually people going and doing it. They're not hurting anyone else by being in the church, praying, um, being in that community. Um, so I I think it's people should just sort of just let people get on with their lives and not have an issue with it if, if someone wants to go and do something have like that just, you just solved racism right there um 
what what about if those what about if those that those those religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs are in direct conflict a good example might be like the middle east where there are people in israel and in palestine which both think that they are entitled to that land and that's god gave them that land for them and their people to enjoy and no one else is there what happens when those those values and those beliefs are in direct opposition and conflict how do we how do we solve those problems because they're the ones that cause war they are the ones that cause war and religion has caused much war yeah. uh, i just think i i think like i, I think it's all well and good to be like oh yeah um uh we need to get on an understanding and i think that works for lots of stuff particularly in like multicultural societies allowing people to have space to go pray but also being respectful of people that don't want to go pray and all that sort of stuff i think it becomes I think, more i think we should just go there and i'll stick a flag down and call this jacob land <laughs> yeah and i'm sure that would go down great um, um i don't know um how would you do it I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be able to solve like the Middle East crisis, but no, I, think... I, I, I feel like there's there's been a lot more intelligent people trying to figure this out who've got I, no answer to it. Exactly, but I guess it's just it's that issue about how do we reduce comp. Well, what about the question of new technologies? What about how? Let's leave that the the Middle East crisis one side. Do you think things like drones or AIs and warfare or like the fact that we can or nuclear weapons, the, these vast massive weapons, technological weapons. Can they do they have the power to reduce conflict or reduce harm in conflict or do they increase the likelihood that we want to go to war and the fights that we do and stuff um i well i think generally weapons are always a bad a bad thing um big countries tend to hide behind their armies and things don't they as well um you got there's arguments about like for instance like ai robots that like some people like have argued that it's really if we used ai robots in warfare could it reduce things like racism and people like but if you put them in the middle east they don't just see someone with a turban and you go oh or like they're, oh, oh they're a terrorist and then shoot them because the robot can be programmed to assess for like looking for actual weapons and guns and stuff and isn't affected by fear or xenophobia or anything like that i was wondering if like if it, we did use weapons like that a, you're less like you're not going to have a soldier in that situation, so we're saving one person potentially being harmed. But also, can we crack down on things like, like literal like racism or thing or or robots going like losing think, their heads? Do you think Do you think it's ethical to send an AI robot in to kill someone else? Yeah, this is exactly the question I'm asking. I just I think I think there's arguments for it. I think there's arguments that we um that actually yeah you you take a soldier out of the firing line. We don't put people in dangerous situations that's a robot can't get ptsd can't get depression can't come back from warfare and become a school shooter in america because they've because they, of the things they've seen they also are less likely to be i mean i know programming can still be biased but they're less likely to shoot someone out of fear they're less likely to uh shoot someone because of their race or their religion or their ethnicity so i'm wondering whether actually it, it is more ethical if we started using robots in warfare when, when do you think it's ethical to actually go to war <laughs> that's a great question uh i think so, the, like, what, what what do they do they have to be attacking you do they have to be yeah. weapons do they have to be killing their own people um that's what, really interesting because one one thing that's not currently covered and no one's ever at one thing that's never actually been used as a justification for is um humanitarian war where you go to war 
to protect, like to stop a genocide or to protect human rights, that's not covered. It's always got to be basically self-defense. So you agree. So first of all, I say that if you're threatened, you're allowed to go to war with the country that's threatening you. But then you get situations like Bush and Blair saying that Iraq had nuclear weapons, nuclear basically, weapons, yeah. and therefore so it was a self-defense. But interestingly, like Saddam is saying was a dictator. They could have got down the lines of saying, look, this person's killing their own people. He's a dictator. We're going to go stop that. But countries have never used that. And I think I think it's a dangerous, really dangerous line. But I think there should be some grounds there for going in and stopping mass like executions or genocide. And I think there are I think there are arguments that you could do that. But then it's dangerous again, because what happens if Saudi Arabia start invading Europe because we we treat women equally and it's like, well, no, that's not right. That's not. Yeah, that, yeah. That's our values, so we're going to go protect protect Allah's name type thing. Yeah. So I think it's a really dangerous line. Where, where do you stand on it? Uh, I think it's one of I, I never. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad our generation never had to really be in a war. Mm. Um, I don't. I always think it should be la very last, last options. But again, I think as you see at the moment, it's. With, with war, it's so difficult for actually countries to get involved in because this big, big bomb that everyone's got, or bombs, they've got the nuclear bombs, and it's like Russia saying, as soon as America or Europe gets involved in Ukraine, actually sending soldiers there, they said, uh, Russia said they're going to send nuclear bombs up, and he's sort of like, well, you can't really do much now. Do, do, you, know, do you know what my, the one thing I think is so weird about this situation is that Russia know that America and Britain are helping the Ukrainians in every other way. They're sending them weapons, they're training them troops, they're sending yeah. them money, food, resources. Why are Russia like, quote unquote, okay with that? And be like, they're not threatening to be like, oh yeah, we'll use our nuclear weapons if you do that, but we will if you send in troops. Like, because both are helping the Ukrainians defeat the Russians. Yeah. I don't, in my mind, that doesn't make any sense. If I was if I was in Putin's situation and I was saying that, I'd be like, I'm either going to use my nuclear weapons no matter what, or he's totally bluffing and he's not going to do it. Because... Well, why would he be okay with them helping them in every other way apart from putting their own troops in the ground? It, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't really get it. What's your... What's your uh, so, if just bombs in general, instead of... So, in, like, in war, um, we've seen mm. it a lot of, a lot of Afghanistan and things like that, where there'd be a target they want to hit, but there'd be children and innocent mm. families around them, and they bomb them anyway. Um, and then... But that's 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 an act of war. It's not a terrorism act. But when yeah. they have someone who comes over here and blows up a bomb yeah. of our of our innocent people, that's terrorism. Yeah, I, I I fully agree. I think that is I think that's a misconception, and that's media propaganda. That, for instance, when that the terrorist attacks happened in Manchester, and twenty two people were killed at that Arana Grande concert. Arana Grande, Aruna Grande, Arana Grande, showing my knowledge of, of pop culture. <laughs> um, is everyone rightly was outraged that was a disgusting thing that happened and it was labeled an act of terrorism but ultimately metaphysically what is different about that to us sending a, sh uh, a drone over afghanistan and bombing a town and killing in hundreds of innocents yeah and i think and, and you, what you've got to realize is that bombing people and if you hit get any collateral damage that creates more terrorists if i lived in Iran or in Iraq or Afghanistan and my house was bombed and my sister or my brother was killed by a British plane you goddamn bet well I would hate the British well, I think I think we've quoted 
um, Steve Hughes a few times, but it's um, his quote is uh, uh, it's like what what do they mean by war and terrorism? Yeah, like, war and terror. <laughs> he goes, how I, can you have a war on? What does war do? Great terror. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. He's like, so you're having a war. You're going to create the thing that you hate, or you're having a war on. Like, yeah, it, it makes no sense. And I think that in the same way that we get radicalized in Britain when when there's a terrorism attack we go well we hate isis we hate terrorism we get radical about it and rightly so because it's an evil thing the people in the middle east get radicalized when we do the exact same to them and i think there's a lack of understanding on both sides between what is actually going on here and how do we create how do we actually reduce terrorism yeah i think it's that big it's that big thing that i was like oh we're allowed to do it because it's for the greater greater good because we're there's, we're taking out one bad person and even if we're taking one bad person and have to kill 10, 20 innocent people, that's justified. And you're thinking, well, it's, I don't think it is justifiable. I, I, I agree. And, and the other thing is I think people don't understand a lot of the time why organisations like ISIS and Al-Qaeda are very anti-Western. Like they're not, they haven't just come out the ground just hating Britain for no reason. Like it all come, goes back to basically our empire and creating like Israel after the second world war, we literally divided up land and just gave it to random people. Like we broke up homes, broke up families. We destroyed the region. We kept it poor. And then we've invaded it countless times since we've had the Gulf war. We've had two Iraq wars. Like we, like we've had Afghanistan twice. Like we've just constantly been battering the region. Now I'm not saying that those invasions weren't wrong necessarily. They might be, they might not be. That's not the point. The point is, is that you can see why those people hate, Britain, oh yeah, Britain. yeah, yeah, and I think, I think so a lot of the time, like you hear stories of soldiers being like, yeah, the people just didn't want us there, and they're like, they're trying to trying to help them, and you're thinking, well, like, are we trying to help them, or like, yeah. do they actually want our help? Well, I also think I'm quite cynical. I think there are lots of countries and leaders around the world that know that this sort of bombing places constantly doesn't stop terrorism. They must know that because it's not worked in the last thousand years. There's been violence. Well, the, the other thing is um, war costs a lot of money. So it's making people, it's making certain individuals lots of money as well, isn't it? So that's always... Well, the thing, like the other thing you got to realise is every single, there isn't a single nationalised weapons producer. Weapons that we, that we use in war, not one of them are made by the government. They're all made by private companies that are worth yeah, yeah. millions and millions of pounds. And in America, they have private armies. And they somehow get around because there's no, you're not allowed to have mercenaries, but they get around this thing called private armies. But they literally employ them and they rock up all their tanks and all their soldiers and fight the war for them. Like, and I think we have to question at that point who who's benefiting from this. Well, you you even have to look at America's history with especially like the CIA, and they've had um, <laughs> they've made they've they've made well, it's sort of rumored. And I think it's sort of known that they have started wars or funded people to carry on wars and giving guns to certain um, countries. But they've also then used those issues going on to smuggle things like drugs and things into their own country well, to make to make money off it themselves. I can't remember the date of it, but the European um, uh, or the oh, which court was it? I can't. One of the UN courts. It went to court. They found the US guilty of funding a terrorist group in Nicaragua to overthrow the government because the government were communist. The Americans yeah. gave weapons and money and it went to court and they got found guilty and they got ordered to pay something like 10 billion in damages to Nicaragua. And that was in 2003 or something the case was. Um, 
to this day, America have refused to pay it, but they were found guilty in the court, and there they've just said, "No, we're not, we're not paying it." Well, have you ever, have you ever watched um, the film American Made? It's got Tom Cruise in it. No, um, it's based on a true story, and he's, um, he's a pilot, um, and the CIA basically start him off by saying, "Oh, look, can you sort of fly over here and drop package, uh, like start taking pictures for us over like war torn countries." Mm. Um, and then he's like, "Yeah, sure." And then, they, then they then he starts smuggling stuff for them. Um, and by the end of it, he's flying um, cocaine from Pablo Escobar back to America, yeah. and that's all funded through the CIA. Yeah, um, which is pretty, like you say, pretty well documented. Obviously, not technically proven, but very well documented. Yeah, that that happened. Um, very last one, maybe before we move on. Uh, nuclear weapons is how do we de-escalate nuclear weapons or, or are we not i mean there's no way of getting nuclear weapons how do we i think it's got again it's got to be a trust thing isn't it you've got to slowly because they're they have decreased in numbers so i don't know what the natural mm. numbers are but i think a lot of the big countries have actually decreased haven't they but not by much they're still like ridiculous so they're still we've got us still paying to blow our, our, our world up a few times exactly a ridiculous amount and i'm just but it isn't like what how like you say it is a trust thing. I think there's a comedian as well that says if I was in charge, I would just pretend I've got nuclear weapons and every now and again evacuate Wales because there's been a leak and just pretend you've got nuclear weapons and then save all the trillions of pounds you spend on it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, um but yeah, I think that's an unsolvable problem. I don't see how any country, especially in the current climate, starts getting rid of their nuclear weapons. But there's tr we spend trillions every year on it. We could, uh, we could. Well, we've also got certain submarines and things going around with nuclear weapons on as well. Nuclear warheads, like the amount of social problems we could, we could upheave our education system, our prison system. We could, we could change everything in our country. Uh, apparently, it's now less than one fifth of the size of bombs we had in the Cold War in the nineteen eighties. Okay. How? Oh, here we go. How many nuclear weapons have been dropped? What in in like tests, including tests? I think so. So, so the ones obviously um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were the two atomic bombs, the two big ones. Yeah. Then I think that because they there's they do tests in like the Pacific and stuff, and it's been like destroying the marine life. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a different question. So the 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 two ones you just said about. Yeah. How how much more powerful do you reckon the uh, nuclear weapons are now from those ones we dropped then? I reckon they're stupidly more. I'm going to go like 300 times more. No, I'll take a zero off that. 30. That, but, is... but if you think about how yeah. how big a like how big of an impact that was on that's that. True. Um, yeah, that's so true. 300 would be ridiculous. But yeah, that's so true. If you think like how big those clouds were and how they destroyed whole cities. So that killed, yeah. Well, it was sixty to eighty thousand people died in Nagatoska. But what, how how wide was it? Uh, big was the last zone. Um, no. The total destruction was three square miles. Um, yeah, that. So, if that's now 30 times the size of that, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, what's that? 900? Uh, no, no, three times 30 is 90. 90. 90 square miles. 90 square miles. And that's just like the blast zone. Then you've got all the radiation beyond that. 
Yeah. Like, it, it is crazy. Um, all right, last question then. How many... Uh, who has the most nuclear warheads in the world? How many? Who has the most nuclear warheads, act, active nuclear warheads? And That's got to be Russia or America, isn't it? Russia and America are the top two, and Russia marginally have more. How many do you reckon they have? Uh, around 1,900. 5,977. What? <laughs> each one, and each one has a radius of 90 miles. What? So, like... Because that's, that's also why they have the submarines, isn't it? So they can be yeah. closer to certain targets. Yeah, exactly. So they have, yeah, they have 5,977. Uh, well, they have 5,977, but currently they have 1,500 deployed. But I don't really know what that means. So that I, that is crazy. That is crazy. Right, should we have another number? Sorry, yeah. Okay, interesting stuff, though. Go on then, get Alexa. Alexa, give me a number between 1 and 15. Here's the number between 1 and 15. It's 4. It's 4. Okay. Um, this kind of links a bit to what we've been discussing. How can genuine democracy emerge from authoritarian regimes? Hmm. I'll put it to you. Uh, would it be better for democracies to invade dictatorships and instill democracies? Or would it be better to wait a longer period of time for rebels to rise up and overthrow those dictators and if, it, and if it was the rebels should democracies arm them and give them weapons and training to overthrow them i think again it it depends on a lot i think you start by trying to talk to talk to them first seeing if they're up for changes if you can slowly implement rule changes because again it's not going to be overnight is it it's going to be little rules bit by bit um and again if it is if you are if they're then flout refusing then it is a rebel army mm. but you want to see what their sort of faith is or what their type of rules are because they might be a rebel army and they, but they might be no better so if they're going to be exactly. or they could be worse so you don't want to just be giving random weapons and training to people that are going to be worse um, and the other, the other thing is, it might be a dictatorship, but it might not be a terrible dictatorship. I know, it's <laughs> yeah, not, I know it sounds funny, but it could actually be one that's again, it might not be as good as actually people having the freedom of what they, what they want to do and want to vote for. But it might not be in like they might be treating people nicely. Um, and then if it's that scenario, are you really going to tell them that they need to keep changing the rules? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think the danger with this question again is like how much should good inverted commas countries get involved? And it sort of goes back to that example of America and Nicaragua. That even if we think we're in the right, who who are we to step in and say no? This is how your country should be run, or these are the well, groups. Yeah, let, let's, yeah let's say if, if it was a dictatorship and people might not be living the best life, but they weren't. People weren't dying. People were living okay lives. They weren't. They were, um, they weren't living with no food and things mm. like that. And then we decided to go in for a war. Then all of a sudden, you got people dying, you got people starving, people dying of diseases. So, is that making their life actually better? 
Yeah, exactly. And also, like, there's been cases like Gaddafi in Libya was instilled by the British. Like, we, when there was war in North Africa, like, 80 years ago, we basically helped Gaddafi take power and we because he we thought he'd be a good ally of the West. Yeah. And it turned out to be a terrible decision. I think Saddam Hussein might even be the same, actually. These are people we supported as a country. And then it turned out we meddled basically with their country because we put someone in power that we thought was going to be good for us. And they turned out to be like evil rulers. So well, uh, America did that with um, um, bin Laden. Yeah, exactly. Well, and actually, ISIS at one point against when we were fighting in Syria, ISIS were one of the organisations funded by America and Britain. Yeah, they were one of the rebels fighting. I, can't, I forget the leader of Syria's name, but yeah, they were one of the guys that were fight. They were the rebels in Syria, and we funded them. And so it's a really dangerous game when we start trying to implement our worldview in other countries. It almost never works. So, but then on the counter to that is like if dictatorship, if we want democracy in places. And even if it's a bad democracy where people are starving or people are being killed, is it the best way to go in all guns blazing and try and make it better? Or is it better to try and have that open dialogue and use like the UN or human rights docu uh, documents and stuff to try and persuade I them? I think also while, while, while if, if that is also an issue, there if there is countries with a dictatorship where people are at war or dying, then countries around it should be given um, the right of people to move out and live in their countries and supporting them by mm. them somewhere because they're almost because they could be living in yeah. terrible conditions. Again, the issue with that though is often like the countries around them are going to be equally like poor or desperate. Like it doesn't tend to be like France that's the dictatorship and then it's Germany and Spain to help. And what actually needs to happen is like. The, the like the quote unquote developed world or like the, the post industrial world places like Europe and America not that they ever will but they're the places really that should be using their foreign aid budgets to really support like Turkey for instance who's had like who has more refugees than anyone in the whole world fleeing the Middle East from Syria and places yeah and like they should be supported to the absolute maximum to actually be able to help those people rather than just being yeah. like oh that's your problem do you think countries should also like start putting uh, like we have done with, with Russia, so stop trading with them, stop sending them, stop buying their products. Yeah, and I think there's, I think maybe that's a way, but maybe yeah, they can put sanctions, sanctions on them, yeah. And I just wonder if those sanctions could be tied to things like, look, we will sanction, we are going to put sanctions on trade until you allow a mayor, an elected mayor in each city, until you allow, until you remove the army from polling stations so you slowly democratize elements of that country and i mean but there are there is a whole counter argument that again this is just imperialism this is just like western philosophy saying you have to run your country the exact way that britain thinks and i think that's again it, historically never played out well with iraq syria libya like it just results in terrorism because we never do it well <laughs> no no well it's it's just like if someone just invaded England or the UK and went, right, you've been doing everything wrong, you need to live this way. Yeah, exactly. You'd, we would... you'd just be like, no. no. Yeah, um, exactly. If a country with completely different values said, yeah. Like, like for instance, but like... But if, if, again, it's something like, if someone said, okay, if, instead, of, instead if they came over and went, oh, I think you guys are doing this a bit wrong, you need to 
start maybe changing this little bit here. Again, even if you say this little bit, I know it's country very well, there'd be a lot of kickback, but if you're changing a little bit at a time, people then sort of get used to it and start building up towards that direction of, of where it's going anyway. But it is interesting that even that, like, can you imagine that, like, our politicians, if let's say, I don't know, let's say, like, Syria, or I don't know, somewhere like Brazil is probably a good example, said, right, we're not going to sell you coffee beans until you become more religious as a country because they think that's important. There would be our politicians and our country would kick back massively, be like, who, like, who the hell do Brazil think they yeah. are controlling yeah. us? But because we're so powerful economically, we have a military, we have nuclear warheads, we somehow feel entitled and powerful enough to do it. And I think it's really important that we look well, at it. We, we, we were powerful economically. <laughs> yeah, true. We were powerful. We, we, we now, we now um, are not so. And I reckon, all right, let's just squeeze one more in. We've got, we've been going like 40 minutes or so. So I reckon just oh, squeeze one more. One more, yeah. Alexa, can I have a number between one and 15? I can help reorder everyday items, track your deliveries, add to your shopping list of answers questions. It's not exactly what I asked for, is it? It sounds helpful, but right now it's really not. <laughs> Alexa, give me a number between 1 and 15. Here's a number between 1 and 15. It's 7. Oh, seven. Alexa, give me another number. Here's a number between 1 and 10. It's 7. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't random. <laughs> Alexa, give me a random number between 1 and 15. Here's a number between 1 and 15. It's 8. Oh, oh. God. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say 7 again. Okay. Um, uh, cut, 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 cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Um, number 8. How can the threat of new and re-emerging diseases and immune mo... I can't even say these words and immune mi microorganisms be reduced? How can the threat of diseases and immune microorganisms be reduced? Oh, well, we've all just got through COVID, but COVID's still a massive thing. It's still massively going around, and I think hospitals and um, care homes have been really busy with it again lately, especially with the weather getting cold. But um, I think, again, we, we and also a massive thing that's not been massively reported about as well, like, how disease and chicken or the chicken uh, flu bird flu is massively going up around at the moment so it's a, it's a lot of the a lot of the places they're spreading are through animals well i was literally about to say jacob you and me have been very good not talking about meat and animals and stuff and again as we always say there's a podcast coming if you look at all of the pandemics we need to really look at where the pandemics are coming from swine flu bird flu sars covid just to name a few i think there's even more all of them bred on animal farms they mix their animals mixing in bad conditions because we've got an obsession with eating meat and this like produ meat production in like eat in just mixing animals on farms let alone factory farms results in some of the worst diseases possible and yeah, like yeah, yeah. and then they're killing us and i think we have to question at some point either let's produce our food in a way well, because that's because that, that's the thing. Everyone really kicked off about COVID because it uh, they reckon it um, it came from a wet uh, a wet market in China, and they said, "Oh, China market is disgusting." It's like, yeah, but diseases and outbreaks happen all the time in markets around the UK. Yeah, it's it's just the fact that this one's gone super crazy and started spreading like mad. Exactly. 
And I think that I've, I remember watching documentary on exactly because biology isn't my area, but like swine free, for instance, there was a really um, deadly uh, disease in pigs that it couldn't transfer to humans. And it mixed with a flu that was in the chicken that was completely harmless to humans, but could transfer to humans. So they basically merged and these, these microorganisms merged together. And then suddenly you had something that could transfer to humans and was deadly. And like, because they would keep, they were, because people wanted to eat chicken and pork, farms were producing as many pigs and as many chickens as possible in tight spaces. And yeah, I agree. Like we we have this again back to this oh we're grey, everyone else is bad. And in China, the wet markets were criticised. But we have so many farms and butchers and wet and and we, meat we, markets. We, yeah, we we do actually have wet markets here. Yeah, exactly. And swine flu's here. We had swine flu here. We had we had, like we had swine flu, bird flu. Like well, they there's, all... there's a fa there's a factory in uh, Norfolk. I remember what it's yeah. called. That literally shuts down every couple of months because that's got a new. It's always on the news. I think it's called. Is it called App Applebee's or something? I can't remember. But yeah, it's always. I always see it on the news. But um, yeah, for the exact for the exact reason, and because dare I say it, it's a little bit unnatural to produce tens, hundreds of thousands of chickens under one roof. So yeah, I think I think that's <laughs> we're always going to say that. Um, but yeah, I think. We, I, we can also talk about vaccines and stuff, but we've spoken about vaccines on why people deny a science episode. So I think education, vaccines, research is really important. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, you could talk about people being generally clean and things like that. But I feel like in the Western world, most people tend to be anyway. Yeah, and I think maybe some of the help would actually be, Obama started doing it and Trump rolled it back. Obama set up epidemic centres all around That's the world. That were like analyzing, testing, looking out for diseases and pandemics that are coming up in all all around the world, so we could react to it quickly. And the Trump shut it all down because he didn't like spending money overseas. But actually, supporting countries that are less developed in being sanitary, research, protecting their communities. Well, Bill Gates, Bill Gates is very much into that as well, isn't he? Yeah. No, he's trying to microchip us, Jacob. That's the only reason he's doing it. Only yeah, he wants full control. That's why. That's why he sold half his business. To yeah. Put it towards. Oh yeah. Oh, gone. Are we doing one more then, or? Oh, well, if you want to do one more. Yeah. Should we? Let's go number fifteen. You want? You want to do fifteen? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This one, I think, probably just encompasses. Um, or if it's all... not very good, you want to pick one. Uh. Yeah. All right. I think fifteen was a bit dead. Um. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not finished on a dead one. Okay, this one is a big answer. So I think we're just gonna have to give headlines to it so we don't drag on too long. But I think this is a really interesting one. Um, how can sustainable development be achieved while addressing the global climate crisis? Ooh. How can countries develop, industrialize, become powerhouses themselves whilst, whilst without destroying the climate? Well, I think. It's interesting, like you look at like Saudi Arabia, and obviously they make a lot of money from the the oil they get from there. But they've also massively invested in like um, like solar energy and renewable energy. So when it does switch over, they're going to be leading the way in in that as well. So they've they've spent millions and millions of pounds on it to be ready for it, and then being able to use it. I think, but the thing is, I think the issue there is is that like, how do countries like central african countries that don't have that oil wealth develop yeah. 
without just building factories and polluting because for me and again this is idealistic as hell as a country like britain or america we need to fund industry in those countries that is green and clean because we have to acknowledge that we are so rich yeah, and wealthy. I think I, think I, I do agree with that. I think that, like I said, we we could invest money into there because, again, you think about how much more sun you're going to get in Africa. But then the danger you're having then there is you're putting factories and um, big businesses into someone's country. You're earning all the you're earning all the mega money off it and they're not really getting many rewards off it i agree but i guess i'm going even more radical i'm saying give the money to build industry build roads for them in an economic way build train links and electric underground systems for them so that the, it produce it makes their economy advanced and advances their infrastructure in the cleanest way possible because the cheapest way to do it is often bad for the environment and the reason i say do that is because we got so rich because we had empires. We took all the wealth. We stole slaves. We stole resources, gold, etc., from these countries. We then became rich. We then used that wealth to have an industrial revolution, destroyed the environment while we were doing it, then realized, stopped doing it, became more green. And then we're looking at these poorer countries and saying, well, you can't hurt the environment. So I think the genuine best way is to either give subsidies to companies to do it, or to literally use the foreign aid budget to build what, infrastructure. What, what encourages countries like England and America and other European countries to do that? Yeah, well, I don't think they, I don't think they have, they don't have an incentive because they don't get anything out of it. But what I think we need to do is, and I'm not, so this is idealistic, I know, we need to recognise why we're so rich and wealthy and why are those, why are those countries are so poor, and say, you know what, we're going to right some wrongs here. And use our wealth to bring everyone else up um i think the only other way you could do it is well i don't know i don't know how you incentivize it because very often those countries don't have much to offer britain in a selfish sense because britain and america have that money have that wealth have that army yeah. so I, 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 it's a political conundrum in, without people just showing some compassion and some generosity and saying because something, something you could do is lend them the money with a interest rate but then you've also the issue we've got in parts of africa is having um a proper government to do it true again it goes back to the other question like how do you interfere with other countries but without crossing a line yeah Interesting. Um, um, I, I think like, i do think at first if you said oh yeah let's if we built like renewable energy bits over there and then like while doing that we built them into infrastructure and things like that but i also do think it's a dangerous path because then you are rewarding off the benefits of their country and they're not getting okay they're getting they're getting infrastructure but after that and what what happens then they're not are they making the money out of it or is it a bit like is it a bit like going back to sort of the slave trade where you went to the land <laughs> robbed them of everything and then he went oh yeah i've got everything i need from you guys now see you later i get that and i think i'm probably oversimplifying in a short answer so um yeah i think that's yeah i think that's very valid i don't know how we do it and just i was just also thinking like what is the incentive like you were saying for countries like britain to do it i think it's the globe uh the climate crisis becomes more and more relevant every single day these countries are going to 
be trying to lift themselves out of poverty in places. They're trying to industrialize. If we don't do it, the whole world's going to burn. So there could be an argument to say, look, it saves you because it's one thing doing it in our own country, but the places it needs to happen, like India, Bangladesh, Central yeah. African countries, they're countries that are going to, they're not going to languish in poverty. They're going to take the risk and they're going to try and develop, understandably. So we either they're going to do it with our help and in a green way or without our help and, and the world's going to burn. I do think it's a. I do think it's a, it is a difficult one, isn't it? Especially when you got people high up still denying it because they know it's going to cost them money, mm. and that is the issue. It's it's money, isn't it? That is the big issue. Exactly, and I think especially when people in the West, like Britain, like money is tight. How do we then justify to our own people going abroad and supporting other people? It's a real big political yeah. issue. Yeah. Cool. Oh. Well, we've we just tackled. Oh my I God. Think We've just solved what five, six of the world's issues there in fifty minutes. So the UN will be calling us up shortly, I'm sure. Um, scratch the surface on some of them, but yeah, they could be all in podcast topics in themselves. But interesting, I think it could be. Yeah, no, it was nice to just hit a few different subjects. Um, let us know if you think we were terribly wrong. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? The thread that runs through all of them, because I think a lot of them, our answers are almost always the same. Like the richer countries just need to invest and use their money and their wealth and their power to support the poorer ones. <laughs> I think is a lot like is where it comes down to. But how we do you? I think it's just. I think it is literally for me. It's just people doing the, what like, sort of the fair thing, of giving back, what what you're getting so like for tax wise pay a fair tax mm. okay you might not be as rich but you're still going to be rich mm. yeah like, well that's the thing with taxing billionaires you could tax billionaires oh yeah that's, yeah that, well, that, is, that is the ridiculous thing isn't it About you could tax billionaires at 99 percent of everything over a billion they earn they're still going to be billionaires like that's yeah. the same thing so yeah it's all politics at the end of the day isn't it it is yeah and it's a uh, Oh, sorry, I'm yawning again. <laughs> for our podcast, is it? <laughs> well, we're coming to the end. Um, and thank you for Alexa for, for joining us and giving us supposedly random numbers. Well, what was it? 10? What was it? 10? 10, ten octillion. Octillion. That's my new, my new you, Would you ask Alexa her favourite number? Because I want to know if it's number seven. <laughs> Alexa, what's your favourite number? I love the number 99. It makes me think of ice cream. There you go, ice cream, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know Alexa. Oh, at least, at least it was clean and she didn't go 69. <laughs> or 420 blazing. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a rogue Alexa. All right, then. Well, on that note, uh, should we leave it for this week? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Over and out. <laughs>